Hey friends, welcome to Around the Campfire with Amy. It's season two, where I'll be joined by my friend and co-host, Anne. It's no secret, the best stories have always been shared around a campfire. We'll have a conversation with our guests, campfire style, leaving you inspired, encouraged, and glad you pulled up a stump to listen in. So grab your favorite campfire beverage, kick back and relax, and we'll stoke the fire. I always joke, but it's like a three second rule. So if you're going to catch your dog in the act with chewing, for example, if they've gotten up and then you punish them, it's too late. Same thing for positive reinforcement. So a lot of times, especially I've heard, um, like with potty training, the owner will take the dog out and the dog potties and they're like, good job. And they go inside and get the treat. Well, that you're actually rewarding going inside, not mm. the potty. So it's literally like one second, two second, three second, pop that treat in their mouth or praise. So today, Anne and I are talking to Whitney. So Whitney is none other than a dog trainer. And we're not trying to alienate anyone in this episode. We know some of you don't like dogs, but the truth is, Anne and I both have dogs and we love them. And we are so thankful for our dog trainer. So we're going to talk with Whitney, who has over six years of dog training experience. And her background includes a college degree in psychology, which is super helpful in learning how dogs actually learn things. She eventually became a certified professional dog trainer, and her experience includes teaching group dog training classes and eventually owning her own private dog training business. If you have a dog, you're going to learn a lot from this episode. If you don't have a dog, you're still probably going to learn a lot. So here's our conversation with Whitney. Hey, friends. Welcome back to Around the Campfire with Amy and Anne. This is Amy. And this is Anne. And today it is my great pleasure to welcome my friend, Whitney Mouton. Whitney is here to talk about dogs. She is a dog trainer. We are titling today's episode, What Your Dog Wishes You Knew. Welcome, Whitney. Thank you for having me, ladies. I'm glad to be here. So we we came we came up with Whitney because last week I feel like was I sharing like a some dog drama that I had at my house and I can't remember. And then we were like, we need to talk to a dog trainer. And <laughs> Anne was like, I know one. <laughs> I know the best one. I'm just gonna put that out there as well. <laughs> so Whitney, what what made you want to even start training dogs? Ironically, I started off getting a degree in psychology. And toward the end of getting that degree, I realized I kind of like dogs more than humans. <laughs> I ended up taking this amazing course where we taught pigeons how to, um, we trained pigeons essentially. Um, and the whole class was the psychology of learning. Like how do animals and humans learn? How does the brain absorb things? And after that, um, I had a good friend say, what do you want to do with your degree? And I was like, you know, I think I want to do something with dogs and psychology and the whole thing just connected. And I was like, I can train dogs. So that's where it all came together. And then from there, uh, with my degree, I ended up getting hired on by PetSmart years ago. They have a phenomenal group program. And I was able to train with one of the top trainers here in Colorado, where I learned a great deal talks about, you know, talking about like, where do dogs come from? Like, what's it like to be a dog? How do we communicate with dogs? And so I did a lot of group classes for a number of years. And then eventually I ended up doing my own training and I did personalized private training because every dog has a different need. The owners had different needs. And I found if I could go to a dog and their owner 
for that training, it was a lot more beneficial because I got to see the dog in their environment, um, address the owner's schedules and their specific needs. So I've done both group training and then ended up doing more personalized private training, which um, it's just it's such a rewarding thing to see where people get a dog and they're like, Oh my gosh, there's this problem, this problem, and this problem. And coming out on the other end where the dog's like actually part of the family and they can, you know, go places with the owners and spend time with their guests and that sort of thing. So, well, Whitney is the reason why our family has a dog because (laughs) our dog was a dog that needed to be rehomed and had some problems at a different house, like was a puppy and issues. And Whitney wasn't even training dogs at the time. And I'm like, what do you think this, these are the issues with the dog. And she's like, I think you should get that dog. (laughs) That was like, honestly, one of the best things that's ever happened to our family. Like our dog Wrigley is a part of our family. We love him so much. And she really helped us because we went from a non-dog family. Like my kids have never known having a dog to a dog family. And Whitney helped us a lot. So Whitney, what has surprised you about training dogs? Really, my biggest takeaway is how intelligent they are. So dogs speak dog, humans speak humans. And I come into some situations where the human has kind of trained the dog to almost essentially speak dog and English in in, in some confusing ways. And a lot of dogs, they're so intelligent that they pick up on things that we as humans aren't even aware of. And so I think that they're constantly watching, they're constantly I'm looking at our body language and our facial expressions. They even uh, respond to how we breathe and our breathing patterns. Wow. And so it's just incredible to me. Like they are so, I guess, and just simply put, they are just very, very intelligent. We don't give them the credit that they deserve. Because okay. they don't speak dog, right? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so I have, so, so the way we got a dog was my husband was like, we can only get a dog if we get a smart dog. I don't want a stupid dog. So we're like, I, I mean, we just wanted a dog so bad. We were like, okay. So he's like, we're getting a border collie. Okay. So we go, we scout it out. We get one from like a border collie breeder. I mean, they're not certified. It's, she's not certified or anything, but we get her and we bring her home. And then I do the research on border collies (laughs) and how much they require. And I am like, oh my word. Like we almost gave her away probably 50 times in the first two years. But I, because I was the one who wanted to train her and things, I became her person. Yes. And, and now like we have, I love her so much. Like I love her deeply. Like Anne said, you're part of your family, but that dog, the words, she knows my kids' names. So yeah. if I say, go get Neely, she will go to her room. I mean, the, the words she knows is insane. And yes. so you're right. They are so stinking smart. We don't give yes. them near enough credit. Yes. <laughs> so what should someone like Amy, like <laughs> let's back Amy up all those years, right? <laughs> what yeah. should she have known before getting a dog? Yes. And like what, what do people miss? Like I knew people think like, maybe there's like a very small checklist. Like what's the broader checklist? Right. That's a good question. And I have to laugh because border collies are probably the most intelligent breed. Oh <laughs> my word. That's head of humans at all times. Yes. Yes. You got a very smart dog. You did succeed in that. Really? It's just, obviously you have to do the breed research. Like that is number one, because oftentimes we, 
we want a smart dog, but like, what does that include? So for example, herding dogs, so like border collies, any of like the Australian shepherds, those types of dogs, they're, her they're herding dogs, they're working dogs. They are literally bred to run hours and hours and hours. And they have to take care of these sheep and these herds and they are so driven and they need a job, right? And so often we get a type of dog like that and it's like, well, I'll give them exercise, you know, dogs like that don't, they can't survive on just like an hour walk a day. They need full running at full speed for many hours. And also it's not just the physical exercise, it's the mental exercise. A lot of dogs, a lot of behavioral issues can be prevented or helped with mental stimulation. And we can go into details about that, but it's really being ahead of the game with what can you give your dog? Again, not just like exercise, but mental stimulation and that sort of thing. Another thing, and we're personally going through this ourselves, we have a dog that is, she's about 10 and we're going through a lot of health stuff and it's like blood work and we're having to take her to specialists and that kind of thing. And I think people always think about the puppy times um, and they forget that if you're going to commit to a dog, you really are, they're there for a long time, in my opinion, not long enough, but yeah. um, it does, it's, it's a lifelong commitment for this animal and quality of life and giving them the care that they need from puppyhood into old age. Um, so I think that's really important too. Do you, do you think that the breed is the most important thing? Like for your lifestyle, should you, or what is the most important thing? The breed, I guess I'm saying I'm answering that for you because yeah. I think it is. <laughs> I think, no, I think that's very important because if you have a dog, um, like this is, I always use this example, but for example, great Danes, people see these huge animals they're like the biggest couch potatoes. Like they, they're really actually great, like apartment dogs. So absolutely like look into like the, um, breed history. What were they bred for? Some dogs were bred for, um, like guarding royalty. Is that someone like when you have kids running in and out of your house all day, do you want a dog that has that tendency to want to guard their home? And also too, I think, unfortunately people get a specific breed in their head that they want, and they don't look into the actual breeding and the genetic history. And unfortunately there's a lot of overbreeding with a lot of dogs and health issues pop up, behavioral issues pop up. And also too, like I, in my opinion, one of the best ways, the best way to figure out if a dog's a good fit for you is if you can foster. Um, we've done fostering with rescues and you bring that dog in and you give them a great home until they can meet their forever home. But I cannot tell you how many dogs I have to joke at. Sometimes we had, this was prior to having kids. We'd have four to five dogs at our house. <laughs> and there were so many that I would be like this dog would be the best dog for our family. I think breed is very important, but their background and their temperament is very important too. Like how open they are to new situations, how comfortable are they with people touching them, coming and going in their home and that sort of thing. So breed is very, very important because you can't fight those genetic tendencies, um, but their background can really make a difference. I have personal experience um, with like even dogs, like you think of a Labrador retriever and based on their background and um, you know, it's not just one, it's not always black and white, but I've seen dog bites and attacks from retrievers, you know, like golden retrievers, labs, that kind of stuff. So it's not always breed specific, but it definitely will give you some insight into like what needs that they have before you get them. Okay. So let's talk about dog bad behavior. 
Yes. And so that I ended up taking a huge deep dive into my dog. Izzy did not have bad behavior, but I just needed to like learn everything about her. So I, I knew that she needed exercise and things. And so then I, I have some friends who got a dog and they weren't exercising it at all. And they were like, oh, she just chews everything in her crate. And so I was just thinking, oh, because she needs to get her energy out. So what are some bad behaviors that people could actually stop if they um, created you know, an environment to where their dog could thrive? So a lot of, there's a lot of natural tendencies that dogs will always have. And two of the top ones are chewing and actually digging. Digging is actually very normal. But oftentimes if you have a dog that is consistently just like, especially like around the younger age, like they're ripping up shoes and they're, you know, I've heard all kinds of crazy, I mean, banisters being ripped up, like floorboards, carpets, you know, like dogs usually are bored when that kind of stuff is happening. Now, is it normal for them to do that? Yes. But the, there's a lot of ways that you can manage that. So I'm a huge advocate of crate training when you're gone, because let's say you have a lab, you got a six month old Labrador retriever. And every time you leave, he goes and gets your shoes and chews them. He's getting something from that. Chewing actually releases feel good endorphins in a dog's brain. And right then and there, he's feeling good. He's doing what he's you know meant to do. He's a dog, but you're not there to correct it. So they've actually done a lot of studies on brains and the um, brain structures in dogs and dogs prefrontal cortexes are not developed like humans. So they don't have the ability to go back in time and plan ahead. And I hear sometimes, well, my dog did this because they were mad at me. Dogs don't have that capability. <laughs> what happens is it's just in the moment, it feels good to chew on a shoe. You're not there to correct them. And so it's very um, satisfying to them. And then you come home and there's a ripped up shoe and can't do anything about it. They can't go back in time and be like, I shouldn't have done that. I feel this remorse. So I like the crate training because it can prevent them from doing those bad behaviors. Now, if you're trying to prevent something like chewing, you have to catch them in the act. Like I was saying, and you don't want to go overboard. It's a simple like redirect. So we don't chew on shoes, but here's a nice, you know, dog toy or bone or Kong. I'm going to get into Kongs in a second. This is what I want you to do. So you want to be very proactive, giving them stuff to do. Digging is another one. A lot of dogs will go out in the backyard and they dig a hole. If your dog is digging, you need to catch them in the act. And actually I'm a huge advocate of giving them a place to dig. So get like a nice sandbox. You can get like a really nice potted, uh, like a pot that you would put a plant in and you put some dirt in there. And then you can actually bury their toys in those areas and you redirect them. So we don't dig under the tree, let's dig over here. And so it's simply just repetition and correcting them in the moment. I often hear people say, well, my dog looks guilty when I get home because they chewed my shoe up. Dogs, again, they go off of our body language. What do we do when we get upset? Mm -hmm. We hold our breath. We have a really straight face. We get really rigid with our body language. Dogs pick up on, on it very quickly. Also, if there's a repetition of the dog has routinely, let's say, gone through the trash, you leave, the dog goes through the trash, you come home, you yell and scream at the dog. Well, when you come home, the dog associate, associates you coming home and, oh my gosh, there's trash everywhere. Last time there was trash here, I got in trouble. Not, I did that. <laughs> I feel so guilty for that. It's just repetition. So mm. a lot of it is prevention. Like you were saying, like mental stimulation, exercise are really, really important. I kind of said this earlier, a lot of dogs need more than just a simple walk. 
big open spaces where they can run is very beneficial. A lot of dogs I'm aware will run away if they're off leash. And so I recommend getting like a 30, you can buy like a 50 foot, hundred foot leash, even on Amazon. It looks just like a normal leash. You hook it to their collar, but you go out to an open park or an open field and just let them run and you hang on to the end of that. So they can't get too far. You're still in control, but they can run and be free. And then you talk about the mental stimulation. So one of my all-time favorite things to do and easiest things to do is make your dog work for their food. Number one, dogs should not be free fed, meaning you don't just plop down a bowl of food and let them eat throughout the day. They're not grazing animals. They're actually meant to hunt for their food and, and eat it all at once. So for example, feed your bre- the breakfast in the morning. If your dog doesn't eat at all, after 10 to 15 minutes, you pick it up and put it away. Then dinner time comes, you give them the other portion of that meal or for that day, have them eat their dinner. If they don't finish it within 10 to 15 minutes, you do the same thing. You pick up that food. Dogs are very smart. And after a couple of days, they usually learn, oh, I better eat this food now or it's disappearing. Once your dog is on that feeding schedule, it's very beneficial because then you can start feeding your dog in a really fun way, like a Kong or a food puzzle. Some of the dogs, like I know, Ann and I've talked about Wrigley. And now we have a cobber dog who's just like Wrigley, who's not the most food motivated. Um, but some dogs, like for example, labs, like they will eat anything and everything you'd get a big Kong. And not only do you use their dog food, but you can get it wet and squishy with like water or broth, and then you can freeze it and they will work and work and work and get it. You can do all kinds of things. Kong on their website actually has a whole list of recipes. So you can put all kinds of dog friendly items in there or food puzzles are fun where the dog actually has to solve the problem in order to eat. But what that does is that you're going to feed them anyways, but you can actually give them ways to work for their food. And then that way they're mentally stimulated as they're eating. Also too, when dogs are learning obedience and tricks, make them earn their dog food. Oh, great. You want to eat your dog kibble. You have to do five sits in a row. You have to lay down three times. Here's a hand, you know, make them work for their food. Okay. I have to tell you something. I got to interject right here. So I yeah. heard that too. make them work for their food. So we used to always make Izzy sit before she ate her food. Well, then we got lazy. And now when we put her food down in front of her, all she does is bark as loud as she can for like five minutes. So then we started like touching her food, like you eat and touching her food. And then she kind of starts growling and then she'll eat, but it's the weirdest thing. Like she just has to bark five or 10 times before she eats. And we don't know if it's because we took away the sit or what. I know you're, so Whitney's totally sitting here and thinking it's the weirdest thing, Whitney. So if you just present her the food and don't tell her to sit, she barks. Barks 10 times. So much so I will walk away and go down the hall. Cause I think, well, if I walk away, she'll start eating. No, she's still barking. It's like, she needs me to tell her something so then that's why I started like touching her food and like saying this is eat, okay to eat eat your food yeah you almost need this is what I would suggest doing is okay. pick a release word and maybe you're doing this but a very very specific word so make you could go back to square one tell her to sit and then if she sits then you can use the, I would use the word like eat or you could do something fun like go for it something she really hasn't heard before uh-huh. and that's her release word so if she learns to sit and then you say, go for it. And then she eats. Okay. Then do that a couple of times, then start mixing up the tasks. So maybe make her lay down and then say, go for it. Or, and then eventually just, you can just put it down and say, go for it. 
And what she's learning is it's not the sit, obviously, that's going to release it. It's the go for it. And you may make her sit. You may make her lie down. But that might help her. She, again, she's so smart. She's like, I have to do something. Right. But that might be a way to kind of go back to square one, but then recreate a pattern with new obedience or new tricks. But okay. I would pick a new release word, which would be okay. like something that's we, brand new for her. We usually say, okay, okay. Mm-hmm. And then my husband will be like, okay. <laughs> He's just barking. <laughs> so. Yeah, go back to square one, teach her okay. to sit, and then come up with a brand new word. Almost kind of start from scratch and then okay. mix it up. Because if she got so used to the sit first, it's like, no, you haven't made me sit yet. And so, right. so then we were like, ah, oh, we're, we're so like, we should have been consistent, but now we're too lazy. Uh, it's just terrible. She's very smart. She's, oh, she's so smart. <laughs> this so is something smart. funny that I think Winnie, I don't know if you said this directly to me, but I got this feeling like when we first got Wrigley that like, it's more about training me and our family than training the dog. Like he, yes. he knows how to do so many things and yes. we don't know how to ask him or how to tell him to do it. Like, what are things that you wish humans knew or that would be helpful? Like That's here's, I'll, I'll start with one that was kind of blew my mind. Yeah. So we were training him when we first got him to go potty in a specific area of the yard. And you told me you have to praise him like immediately when he's done, like one second. And then you tell him like, good boy or whatever, because you said by the time he comes to the door, 10 seconds later, he doesn't know why he's being praised. Exactly. <laughs> No, that's great. So kind of going back to how their brains are formed and they don't have a lot of ability to go back in time and forward and plan and that sort of thing. I always joke, but it's like a three second rule. So if you're going to catch your dog in the act with chewing, for example, if they've gotten up and then you punish them, it's too late. Same thing for positive reinforcement. So a lot of times, especially I've heard um, like with potty training, the owner will take the dog out and the dog potties and they're like, good job. And they go inside and get the treat. Well, that you're actually rewarding going inside, not Mm. the potty. So it's literally like one second, two second, three second, pop that treat in their mouth or praise. And that's really hard. I think for a lot of people, especially when you're working like for obedience, for example, if you have a new puppy and you teach them to sit, you have two to three seconds from the time their bottom hits that ground for that treat to go into their mouth. And so I see, you know, owners often are like, I don't have the treat. So I often tell people, don't ask anything of your dog or don't use a command until you know you can reinforce it immediately. So always remember that two to three second rule. So if you have to correct a behavior, you better do it pretty quickly. Or if you're going to reinforce a behavior, same thing. Yeah, that's an, that's an excellent term or uh, thing to remember. And you had a great takeaway too, Anne. So when I've trained, I do in person, I go to their, their home and it is a lot, I joke like, I, if I have to be honest, a lot of times the dog's easier to train than the human, Um, but I know some people will send their dogs to like a send away training camp or like a, a, you know, really hardcore training. And I, I, it kind of depends on the program, but a lot of those, I don't really like the idea of because the trainer has that rapport with the dog and then the dog goes home and the human is like clueless as to what's happened. And I always have said, it's like, you need the right key and the right lock in order to make things happen with the dog. The trainer has the key at that point, not the owner. Mm -hmm. And so the owner really needs as much training. So that way, I mean, it's incredible um, how much dogs respond to humans. So for example, if you're uh, teaching a dog to come to you, 
all you can get a dog to come to you from a long distance without a single sound. It's all body language. Well, the average you know owner doesn't know that. And like, ironically, for example, when you call a dog to come to you and you're standing upright in dog body language, that means stay where you're at. So the owner's like, come on, come on. And the dog's like, but you're physically telling me to stay where I'm at. It's really confusing. So like, for example, when I work with people, the best way to get a dog to come to you is run away from the dog and get down <laughs> on the ground. And you act like you look yes. silly. <laughs> it you works ridiculous. every time. It yes. works every time. Yeah. Really? Like the girls, the girls or my husband will be like, come, come. And they're like standing there, like waving their arms towards themselves. Yeah. And I do what Whitney taught me to do, which is like, act like you're running away. And then he does. He's like, yep. oh, okay. We're coming. <laughs> and you know, you wouldn't know that. And if the dog comes to the trainer that they've worked with, but the owner doesn't know that, then the dog is very confused. And then, you know, training just kind of comes to a screeching halt because the, the owner is confusing the dog in a way. So yeah. That's a great point, Anne, is if you can, like if you get a dog and you're going through dog training, make sure that you as the owner are very present and you're learning. What is your body telling this dog? We probably create a lot of the problems or so-called problems in our dogs, don't we? Yeah. Because we're just confusing them. Yeah. And I always joke, you know, I have someone be like, my dog does this, this, this. And I'm like, they trained you really well. <laughs> my dog, I hear this one a lot. My dog goes in the backyard and they won't come in and they won't come in until I go get a bag of treats. And I'm like, they trained you real quick, didn't they? <laughs> that is hilarious. <laughs> there's a yeah. lot of steps to go from getting the dog to come in when you don't have those treats. Um, so yeah, yeah they, they train us very well. So what is, what is something that someone, so a lot of us are gone all day. So we, we work full time. Our kids are in school. What are some things that we can do to kind of help our dog be okay when that happens? Because life does go on and we can't spend 24 seven with our dogs as much yes. as they would love us to. Absolutely. It kind of depends on your dog, right? So if you have a dog that's younger and um, gets into trouble while you're gone. That's why I absolutely love the crate training. And you always want to make it a positive thing. It's, you don't just get a puppy and put them in a kennel and leave. You need to like acclimate them and make it a positive thing. So throw a treat in, let them come out, put the treat in a little bit farther in and let them actually walk, you know, walk all the way to the back of the kennel and let them come out, feed them in their kennel, give them that amazing, um, Kong stuff full of dog food and peanut butter in their kennel. A big thing that, um, I come across is owners will get all kinds of great toys for their dogs, but then they just leave them out all the time. And the dog gets disinterested in them. It's like, I have these all the time. And then, oh, I'm going to go chew on the rug instead. So they get kind of bored. So what I tell people is get a good combination of toys, but rotate them, mm -hmm. pick them up when you get home at the end of the day, and then present maybe two or three new toys right before you leave. And that way it's like a new toy to them. They often are like very uh, interested in that new toy. Make sure it's a safe toy. Um, a lot of dogs rip and shred mm -hmm. certain toys. And then you come home and the dog's eating a squeaker and then you're off to the emergency vet. Um, <laughs> there's some really great products. I really like, I keep losing my earbuds here. Sorry. I really like um, Kongs. Those are my favorite because they're really tough. For those that don't know, if you get the black Kongs, they're thicker. They're a thicker rubber. So they're harder to rip and shred. And they're actually dishwasher safe. So you can put them on the top rack oh. um, and rotate them. I, I say, get a couple and like, you know, put some stuff in it. So that way you're not constantly washing Kongs, but they have different shapes and sizes. Um, I also like a lot of the 
like Nyla bone is a really good brand. It's a harder bone that it's not edible. Um, but some dogs, especially heavy chewers, they like those and they have like beef flavored, peanut butter, butter flavored, and they can, um, chew on those and they have different shapes and sizes. And if you notice your dog likes those things, get an assortment of those and then rotate them. So that way it's, um, something new. Some dogs um, really benefit if you can get like a dog walker to come into the house, even for a 10 or 15 minute break a couple times a week, just getting out and about and kind of getting their legs stretched and some um, interaction. That's really helpful. Some dogs do really good at like a doggy daycare. Um, I know the cost of things like doggy daycare can add up, but I've even known, known personally, if you take your dog to like two days of uh, doggy daycare, they're usually exhausted even the next day. So that works. Um, I, I am one who does that. I, I never, I was ashamed to admit I took my dog to doggy daycare, but it was a necessity. Yes. Were you feeling like bougie? Like, oh, my dog goes yeah. to doggy daycare. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go to daycare. But, but you, say, smart. you say the word daycare and she is she knows it. what it is. Yes. And I always <laughs> yeah. recommend to people do your research on doggy daycares. Make sure that they're not overcrowded a lot or they can separate them like small and large dogs. Some dog, you don't want your dog going and they, you know, they're kind of a shy type and then they just get pushed around all day. That's not fun for them either. So I always just say, you know, if they have a lot more space or they can divide the dogs by size, look for things like that. It's a lot more, it's a lot safer for them. Um, My doggy daycare actually, Izzy, who is a medium-sized breed, is in with the small dogs because she has a complex with the big dogs. We have that one. <laughs> that's that's so smart, though. And I think a lot of doggy daycares, unfortunately, don't realize that. And they put them in together. And everyone should have a good time. And they should have <laughs> quiet time, too. We don't want dogs that go for eight hours. And they are so exhausted. You kind of compare it to a kid. If they need a nap and they're grumpy, they're not going to act really nice if a kid's poking them or bothering them. So. <laughs> A lot of times grumpy dogs can equal a dog fight. So we don't want that either. So mm-hmm. nap times at daycare are good. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> <like awesome. kids. laughs> but yeah, I think that's great. And they, you know, you know, the exercise and then if they're, you know, even having visitors come in and walk them. Um, this is another thing that people don't realize is when you take your dog on a walk, you don't always have to walk them like long distances. So sniffing and exploring is just as mentally stimulating as a walk is physically stimulating. So let them sniff, let them stand there. And I know it's annoying as an owner, like, come on, we got to go. But they smell and pick up so much information on their walks that you could go to your neighbor's yard, like three doors down and let them sniff for 10 minutes. And they're going to be getting something from that. So don't ever discount that sniffing time. Mm, That's a good point. Really good point. Okay. So you are located in Denver, but all of our listeners are everywhere else. So where, what is a way that somebody can find a good, reputable dog trainer? That's a great question. So there's an organization that I really, really like called the Association of Professional Dog Trainers. And if you look them up, it's APDT. They actually have a list based like nationwide on these trainers. This is something I feel very passionate about is when we do dog training, positive reinforcement is so important. So find a trainer that uses positive reinforcement. And I know some people say, well, you know, I don't want my dog to do all positive reinforcement because then they won't, um, they won't respond to me unless I have a treat in my hand. 
when that happens, it simply means that the training hasn't come full circle. So a good reputable dog trainer will use positive reinforcement, but will also teach you how to have an out, like have a dependable outcome from your dog. So when you tell them to sit, they sit. If you tell them to come, they come with or without that treat. They will teach you how to um, make sure your dog is responding with or without the treat. You know, people kind of forget this too, but places like zoos, rescue animal rescues, like even like that work with like dolphins and such, they all use positive reinforcement. Dogs are part of that, just like humans. If we get a good outcome, we're going to repeat that behavior over and over and over again. A lot of times with um, punishment-based uh, uh, training, which includes pinch collars, choke chains, shot collars, most people do not know how to use those properly. And often it, con it confuses the dog. And then if the dog has any sort of fear about their training, they tend to shut down. Just like humans, if we're in a stressful state, we don't absorb a lot of information. And so actually training with any type of punishment type training can actually slow down the training. So that's why I really like the Association of Professional Dog Trainers, because these, these are trainers that are using positive reinforcement, um, which really communicates very clearly to the dog. And it creates such a wonderful bond with whoever's training them. So I always want to make sure that I get that in there, mention that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay. So what, just to bring it all for full circle, you've given us so many great tips, but what are a few steps that we can take as dog owners to make sure that our dog is friendly and confident and well-behaved? I mean, I do feel like my dog will never be friendly <laughs> just because that's who she is. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but, but I know that there are some ways. Yes. So of course, like we talked about earlier, breed will, um, dictate often a, a dog's personality, but really what it boils down to that's very important is especially for puppy owners. Okay. From about four weeks of age to 16 weeks of age, that is an open window that owners need to take advantage of. Meaning you, you need to associate a lot of things for that puppy with positive. So for example, if you have children that come into your house a lot, when you get that puppy, when the, the neighbor kids come over, let's say, for example, make it a positive thing. We want the dog to have not a negative um, experience, not even a neutral experience, but a positive experience. So really simple things, have some dog treats and let those kids give your puppy, you know, the treats whenever they come over. So soon kids coming in the house is a positive positive thing. And this goes for all things, riding in cars. I can't tell you how many times a dog has never been in a car until they're like six months old and they are like freaking out going on walks, having people come over and also play time with other dogs. So this is kind of a hot topic in the training world. I understand where a lot of veterinarians come from because their job is to keep our dogs healthy, but Unfortunately, a lot of vets will tell owners, do not let your dog out of the house or see other dogs until they are fully vaccinated. And unfortunately, what that does is that interferes with the window of time where they're open to those new experiences. So I've seen it time and time again, a dog again, leaves their house and they've never seen another dog. And that window has closed, meaning like they're just not as open to those new experiences. And that's unfortunately where a lot of like aggression and stress and anxiety comes for these dogs because they haven't been introduced to these things in an appropriate amount of time. There is a really, excuse me, a great society. It's called American Veterinarian Society 
of animal behavior. And I really respect this group because they're actual veterinarians, but they also have a lot of behavioral education, which a lot of veterinarians do not. And their stance is get those dogs out as soon as they've had their first round of shots and get them out, get them in like puppy socialization, get them out and see the world. I always tell people, do what you're comfortable with. If you are terrified, go talk to your vet but please expose your dog to as many things as you can in that time frame, because once that window closes, it's a lot harder for them to be accepting of new experiences. I realize there's a lot of owners that adopt dogs that are older and that time period has passed. If you are noticing, let's say, for example, every time your dog is on a walk and they see another dog, they start snarling and snapping and that sort of thing. Please hire a dog trainer or a behaviorist that knows what they're doing. And if your dog is repeatedly being exposed to those things, try to kind of reel that in. Maybe don't get as close to those dogs or go at nighttime when there's not a lot of dogs on the street, for example. If they're constantly showing behaviors of barking, you know, snarling, anything that's stress related, it means they're really being put past their threshold. Mm. Um, another example is like if your dog is lunging and, you know, not behaving very well when guests come in, it might be a good idea to put your dog away when guests come in and maybe get some professional help. So that way they can help you and it, you know, really get a plan together and work with that dog. You want to slowly introduce those things to those dogs. If we're constantly bombarding them with things that stress them out, it's just going to make things worse. But yeah, just get their background. What, like we talked about earlier, what breed are they? How, how is, how are they bred? I'll kind of give you a personal example. I personally, we have a dog that's about a year old and I did a bunch of research. The puppies from one breeder, like was not allowed to meet any of the um, potential adopters or people who wanted these puppies where another one would let us come in and meet these puppies. And those puppies were being raised inside and they were visiting with kids and such when they were little bitty. So that I knew I'd had a better chance with going with the, the specific breeder that those puppies were being introduced to a lot of things in that important time frame, and they were going to benefit from that. But really just keep in mind, slow and steady with dogs is like the trick. You know, for example, if you're teaching your dog to um, lay down on command, don't expect a 30 minute lesson, you know, out of, off, off the bat, like do a couple of downs and then take a break. Do it. Um, always end on a good note. If your dog just simply, I use the example for stay. If you're shooting for a 20 second stay and your dog will sit and stay for 10 seconds, but falls apart after that, go back to 10 seconds End on a successful note, call it a day, go back to it later. Your dog will benefit from that. You won't be as frustrated and actually their learning will, will actually take off a lot quicker that way. But if at any time you don't understand what your dog's, you know, why your dog's doing things, I always tell people just reach out to a professional because there's usually a pretty reasonable explanation and a lot of it can be fixed. You know, a lot of it does take time and patience, but it's always a strong possibility that their behavior can improve. So get a professional. I was going to say, just because a lot of people haven't had a professional before, like, tell us like, what does that cost? And like, what does that look like? Like, is it per visit, how many visits would you need? Like just give people an idea. Cause I think a lot of people have no clue. Yeah, that's a great question. So you're going to find all price points. So if, um, I think back to my very first dog, I didn't have a lot of money. I was just out of college. So I did a group class group classes are great because 
your dog gets socialization and because it's a group class, they're usually a little bit more affordable. I always just say, look for um, trainers that use positive reinforcement. And um, oftentimes to those trainers, if you're noticing like your dog may need more hands-on one-on-one, those trainers would be able to either do that yourself outside of class or send you elsewhere. I, I kind of touched on, like, I'm not a big fan of the send away camps, essentially. Those get really pricey. I recommend one of my favorites is like a weekly lesson. So for example, five lessons would cover all things puppy, like potty training, nipping, not jumping on people, that sort of thing. Plus a really good introduction of all the basics of obedience. And you can usually, a lot of times trainers will give more of a, like a price break. If you do those group lessons, I found a guy on YouTube for people who don't even want to spend money. And then this is probably more tricks and puppy training, but I taught Izzy a million things from Zach George, and he is a YouTube puppy trainer. And I binged all of his puppy trainings and that's how I potty trained Izzy. And that's how I, I mean, I learned a ton. So usually if you could find like one good person on YouTube, (laughs) you can who, like you said, who does the positive reinforcement and things like yeah. that. And I, Zach, Zach was one of those people. So you can start free, but yeah. we, we did have to move to some, some paid training with Izzy. Cause she's quite the, yeah. And that's why I really enjoyed the one-on-one training because I I'd, I'd have clients that I'd come in and they'd be like, I have no idea what I'm doing. Like kind of joking, like, can you just move in and like train the dog? <laughs> and then I had other clients that like, they they were excellent dog trainers and they just needed a little bit of tweaking with one specific thing. And I, we do in one hour lesson and I, we'd go over stuff and they just took it from there. So do what you're comfortable with too, as well. Like, you know, everyone's very all over the place as far as what their needs are and what their dog's needs are too. Right. Well, Whitney, you have given us so much to think about. I know I'm like more inspired. I gotta, I gotta start doing some more mental <laughs> toughness and I need to go back to freezing that food in the Kong. I forgot about that. That yeah. is such a great trick and keeps them so busy and, and don't, when they lick, like it releases endorphins or whatever. Yes. So I had heard, give them that when you leave. So then they're licking it and they don't associate you leaving with sadness. Yep. <laughs> or something a like licky that. Mat, that reminds me a licky mat is another option. Those are things they're simply, uh, it looks just like a flat piece of like rubber, but it has different, um, textures on it. And you can put peanut butter, or if you give your dog peanut butter, make sure it does not have any fake sugars in it. Cause that can be lethal for a dog. So just get the basic peanut butter, um, with minimal ingredients. Um, but you can yeah. take licky mats and put anything soft in it. So peanut butter, banana, anything like that. And you're exactly right. When they lick, it releases those endorphins. Just always pick up the licky mat before you leave because dogs will eat those. (laughs) (laughs) So I was feeling like Wrigley was so bored, like, because Jeff and I are working at home. We're just sitting and working, working, blah, blah, blah. So I got Wrigley a dog puzzle. Yes. And it said it was beginner to medium, right? But he doesn't care about food. I have yet to find any treat. Now I've not tried a ton, right? But you don't want to spend like $6. No, no, he does not. Like, oh I feel like a celebrating if he eats. Yeah. And that's how, cla- so, so Amy, did I tell you that like Whitney and her family would take care of Wrigley when we went out of town? Oh, okay. And okay. They loved him. Yep. And so they got the same breed as Wrigley. Yeah. And they're very, oh, they're, they're not food motivated. Is, is Clyde? So what he's, do you do? Like, what do you well, do? He got puzzles? neutered two weeks ago and now he's a pig. It's the weirdest <laughs> 
but we did the baby food thing. Um, like just mixing the baby food in with the, yeah, with his dog dog food. But what about like the mental stimulation? Cause I'm feeling like, oh, like Wrigley has started her rumping. He'll be like, hurf, hurf. Cause he wants to play. Oh yeah. He wants to play or he wants. Yeah. I actually also figured out he has trained me to stir up his dog food. If it sat for a little while, <laughs> I am not kidding you. I did it one time and he started eating. And then I don't know, a couple of days went by and did it again. I stirred it up and then he started eating. So now he's training me to stir up his dog. That is funny. And it literally can take one time that you do something and they're like, (laughs) that worked. I'm going to do it again. Like one time. He's very smart, but mental stimulation for like dogs, like Clyde and Wrigley who don't care about food. So Clyde is very play minded. Like he really, really likes it. He just likes interaction. One of my favorite things to do with the dog is play hide and seek. And so sit. My kids do that. Stay as all in a come is all you need. And it is so fun because you start out small. You just like say, sit and stay, go around the corner. And then you say, okay, or, you know, your release word come, but then you can get it really difficult. Like you put him in a stay in the dining room and you go upstairs and he has to find you. That's kind of one. That is Izzy's favorite game. And that's the only thing I can get my kids to do to play with the dog. Like that's one of their chores is to play with her because we cannot, she just needs so much. And they, now Izzy's food driven. And so we usually have cheese because she loves cheese, but that hide and seek game, I'm telling you, she loves it. Yes. And they have to use their brain and really dogs, especially like, this is a funny thing too, Ann, because like Ann knows we used to have labs and like mm-hmm. they, they required so much energy. There's something funny about the Cobra dog because Clyde has been the easiest dog we've ever had. Like just to be with us is all he wants. Like he doesn't need a lot of walks and all that. I mean, he, you know, little exercise goes a long way. So you might just kind of see like, what is he like? He may just want a 10 minute snuggle session. You I know? think you're probably right. Yeah. <laughs> and he does. And I think I just would see him like laying on the floor and kind of start to feel sorry for him. Like, yeah. I don't know. I perceived <laughs> bored. Yeah. I don't know. And so I'm like, what puzzle that's called anthropomorphism, which means we put our, uh, human feelings on dogs and usually Mm. they don't have those. And it's just not that deep. Yeah. They're like, (laughs) I was just sleeping. (laughs) I wasn't bored. (laughs) I love it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I just, this is awesome. Well, I hope if any of our listeners don't have dogs, and I do know of a few of you who don't have dogs, I hope you're inspired to get one because yeah. as much trouble as they are, I can't imagine my life without my dog. And I think Agreed. Anne is probably the same. Absolutely. So, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us and yes. for being here. And and we'll link to that, um, to the association of, I can't remember what Professional you said. dog trainers. Yeah, yep. yeah. We'll link to that so that people can find um, a trainer in their area who can, who can help them out. So thanks for being here, Whitney. Yes. Thanks for having me, ladies. Thanks for joining us around the campfire this evening. We hope you learned something, not only about our guests, but maybe even about yourself. If you enjoyed our conversation and want to make sure you don't miss our next campfire chat, please hit the subscribe button. Or even better, we'd love for you to drop a review to help others find a place around the campfire. Thanks so much. Until next time.